Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. You know, my family and I, Justin, the girls, we spent a year in Scotland. Uh, a few, it's been, uh, the, the years ago keeps increasing, which is weird, but uh, some years ago, uh, and during our time there, our girls were between one and two, closer to one at, at this time, I think. We went to visit some friends in Northern England uh, who had been friends from seminary, and uh, the, it turns out the Tour de France bicycle race was coming near their, their, where they lived. And uh, I, I was a fan, and my friend was like, hey, let's try and go and see it, and we said, okay. So we packed uh, seven of us in their UK-sized passenger car for seven people, which was still very small. All right. So just myself, we had two infant, you know, one-year-old-ish twin daughters, my friend and his wife, and their, you know, month or two old baby, right? And uh, this was the extent of our plan. We hopped in the car. We, we knew where the Tour de France bike race route was going to be. It was the first day, kind of the kickoff of the race, the grand depart, right? They were getting started. And uh, we knew the route, but didn't really know much else. So we were going to drive as far and as close as we could until the roads were closed. And then we were going to park and then we were going to walk which is what we did. We landed uh, in the middle of nowhere in the Yorkshire Dells of Northern England, uh, or in in England landed, uh, just parked in a random field. There were other people parking, which was encouraging. Uh, And then we just said, those people are walking that direction. Let's go, right? And so we, you know, we unloaded all of the children. One of my children in particular was very unhappy about being there and told the whole of the English countryside, uh, voiced her displeasure. So it was a bit of a hike. We're like walking and climbing hills. And and she told everyone that was within earshot and a little beyond that she was displeased at this course of events. I think Jess felt the same way, but was much more adult in her expression of this uh, desire. But so we made our way and we landed at the top of this hill and we were right outside of this, I mean, just beautiful sort of as you might picture, English village. We're at the top of a hill. You could see kind of down the hill, this little township and uh, with hundreds of other people just in the English countryside and their cheese and wine and picnic baskets, right? Just ready to have a, a lovely afternoon uh, of waiting, right? So we, 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 we hit our spot and then we just waited and waited for hours, right? <laughs> hours with an unhappy child and an inwardly unhappy wife made for a lovely, I'm, I'm, I'm giving her a hard time, but um, right, so, until finally we saw those first signs of life. And the first sign of life was like the sort of pre-race excitement, right? The cars came through had to kind of amp up the crowd. And you know, you're in the English countryside when what they were throwing to the crowd was like Yorkshire tea bags, right? Here, everyone get excited, right? And uh, it was great. It was a great fun. So they kind of get everyone, you know, jazzed and excited. And then the next sign of life was a helicopter on the horizon just over the little town, just started circling over the town. And we knew you could hear buzz kind of spread through the crowd. The Peloton is coming. The cyclists are coming here. You know, this is fun, right? And, and uh, we see them finally, we see them kind of leave the town uh, down the hill below and everyone just presses to the edge of the street like the little country road that we're on at this hill and press to the edge. We see them come, they come to the bottom and because it's a hill, they kind of slow at the bottom of the hill, right? And kind of bunch up and then spread out as they like cross, uh, crest, crest the hill. And, and I'm there uh, with Adeline on my shoulders and uh, a thrill of hope, if, if you will, uh, to borrow from the holiday season here. It was just exhilarating. It was so fun. So much color, athleticism, endurance, just cheering. People were excited. I mean, there were just 
cyclists like stacked in front of me and we could have just blown them over. They were so close. Uh, just so, so fun. And then they crested the hill and they were gone. And I looked down the hill where uh, Penny and Jess had sort of made their way. Uh, probably healthy for all of us, but uh, uh, they start making their way back up the hill and uh, Jess looks at me. And again, you know, the Yorkshire Dells of England, beautiful picturesque countryside, the Tour de France, right? Like lycra everywhere. And uh, just looks at me and says, was that it? Right? right? Was that it? Right, man. That's the story I tell at every, like, you know, part, I don't know. Uh, right, she looks at me and says, was that it? And, I mean, she makes a valid point. It had been hours of crying, like unhappy children, and waiting, just waiting. And in a matter of seconds, really, it felt like uh, the moment, the moment had, had passed. And I, I, I want to suggest to you that that feeling uh, runs all through the reading that Aaron read for us uh, this morning in Isaiah 64. There is this feeling of, of is that it? Right? Is, is this it? If, if I could, right? So again, hours of waiting and waiting and waiting uh, in the story of scripture, hundreds of years of waiting, right? For, for help, for freedom, all of that. Deliverance in the form of God's work on their behalf. Lots of waiting and all of it finds expression here in Isaiah 64. But if I could borrow perhaps a more uh, modern is maybe not the right phrase, but uh, to, to lean into home alone. I wonder if the question here in Isaiah 64 isn't a little bit of, God, are we home alone? At the beginning of this passage, God, would you rend the heavens, tear the heavens and come down, right? Come and shake the mountains. Do this incredible thing so that it's unmistakable that you are here to help us. Uh, that, that out of that is, is really a cry or a question, God, are we home alone are you here with us in fact a bit of context for Isaiah 64 uh, it, uh, the moment that he's writing uh, into here in this passage the people of Israel are returning from exile they're literally coming home right coming back to, to to the life that they used to know they are coming home and it's almost as if Isaiah in this moment and on the lips in the prayers of of the people of Israel is this feeling that as they come back they are still in a place of despair they're a shadow of maybe who they thought themselves to be or who they had been previously and as they return home and look around at the mess that is their lives they they cry oh god won't you come are we here are we home alone it's, it's, a, it's, again, it's just as we've seen each week through the season of Advent as we've looked at passages in Isaiah, passages that point us toward Christmas, toward hope. They all kind of, many of them jump right in. Previously, it was, it was joy and, and uh, good tidings of comfort, but this week, it's, a, it's just this honest sort of cry, God, would you come? Would you come? Rend the heavens. Let the, to quote Garth Brooks, let the thunder roll, Right? Come, come, right? The lightning strike, these images in Scripture, beginning and end of God's presence, this undeniable, unmistakable expression of God's power and strength come to help us. In fact, in Isaiah 64, the, 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 the language, it, it really, it carries a sense in that opening bit, uh, you know, like uh, to make yourself known to your enemies. And then in verse three, when you did awesome things that we didn't even look for, we didn't even expect, you came down in the mountains quake. There is a feeling here 
in which they're saying, God, if, if you would just break in on us the way that you used to, right? We know that you've been here before. It feels like you're not here now. Please come, right? We need something unmistakable. And, and that, I think, again, it reminds me of Home Alone, right? The, the, the moment when, when Kevin, uh, the protagonist, uh, Right. realizes he's, he's home alone, right? And uh, he says in that moment, after a fight the previous evening with his family, he wakes up, he's like, I've made my family disappear, right? The, 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 there is a sense in which it, the, the people of Israel returning to their home after the, their broken history of failures and letdowns and all the cycle of just messiness, the sense in which, God, we have made you disappear. We have, you, you, you are not even here with us. God, it feels like we're home alone. Would you come? There, there, is in this, there is in this plea an important note of urgency. There is none of the stuff that we like to play, none of the games that we like to play, like let me get this sorted out, let me fix this relationship, let me fix this broken habit in my life, let me kind of get this squared away in me, God, and then come. There is none of that. There is just an urgent plea, God. God come, which brings us to another turn or or move in this prayer where we start, Jesus, God, would you come and and save us? Uh, Now takes a turn in verses five through seven. We need you to come for one reason, right? And we read it. We'll we'll pick up in verse five. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. And then this just honestly depressing prayer in our sins we have been a long time shall we be saved we've all become like one who is unclean all our righteous deeds are like dirty laundry we we fade like a leaf our sins like the wind take us away there's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our sins. It is, again, I know Christmas is so close, but it is a sad but honest prayer, right? The, the, the move here is, God, we need your help because let's be honest, we, we have made a terrible mess of things. And, 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 you know, often, you know, sometimes it's not our fault, but let's just be honest. We are often responsible in ways we, we are reluctant to admit for the mess that we find ourselves in. The, the, the ringing sort of ache of that prayer, in our sins we have been for such a long time, is there any hope of you saving us? We've been here for so long, is there any hope? We, we fade like a leaf, this image that even our righteousness, he says, even our best efforts have sort of establishing our significance and our security and, and, you know, this is, I can do this and clean myself up. Even all of our most righteous efforts at, at that move in, in us, he says, are like laundry, dirty laundry. It is, it is a remarkably honest assessment, right? a remarkably honest prayer. Uh, a prayer that I think is honest in a couple of ways, clearly just about the brokenness of the human condition, but an important turn uh, happens here in that it, it's an honesty that doesn't just sort of point the finger at the brokenness of the nations around them, which is a move that happens in Isaiah. God, look at all the pagan nations, right? Like we, we are under the thumb of sort of all of this. They don't honor you and, and, and all of that. It's, that is there. But here, 
this prayer acknowledges that that condition exists in my own heart as well, that in the very people of God, there is this sense in which they acknowledge even our righteousness is diminished by sin, is nothing but dirty laundry after a long run that's been left. <laughs> no, just said stop. All right. Um, right? It's, it's, she's like, we get the, we get the picture. Right? Move along. Uh, uh, here, this will help. Uh, it, it again reminds me of Home Alone, right? This, this image in Home Alone. Uh, he's still sort of processing, like, being by himself. This will be the last one, I think, I promise. But, right, he's, he's processing being home alone. He still hasn't quite sort of moved into that phase of perhaps missing his family. He's enjoying the freedoms that he finds in this moment. And if you'll recall, he's, like, planted himself in front of the TV, and he's gorging himself on delicious food. In fact, he says, right, I think aloud for the benefit of his mom, who's miles away, who has perhaps already tried to steer him in a different direction, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish, Right? And uh, I, I don't think we're quite so bold, but that is the declaration of Isaiah 64, that on our own, all the spaces we go, all the places we go to sort of establish our significance and our security, our worth, our, our, the churchy word is righteousness, all of those places are junk and rubbish. The truth is, the truth is we fade like a leaf. We fade like a leaf. And so we start in this passage, God, will you come? Are we home alone? Is this it? Uh, And that that prayer comes out of a place of, of confessing we tend to make a mess of things. God, even when I'm doing it right, things still seem to break down. Out of all of that, as Isaiah has done over and over and over again, he gives us a an invitation to hope. He, he nudges us now. He, he turns a corner in this prayer uh, and points us toward the hope of Christmas, ultimately Jesus and the gospel. And, and I want to kind of help us land there. I, I want to take you to the last line of our prayer here uh, this, this morning. Right at the end, he lands on this confession that, yes, it's true, we have made a mess of things, but also true, he prays. We are all your people. We are, we, are, we are a product of your work, God, a creation. In, in this particular moment, he, he's, he's telling them that, that, uh, that, that God has, has, has formed them, has made them as a people, as the people of Israel. He says, we, we are your creation. Yes, we are broken and sinful, and that is undeniably true, but that does not change the truth that we are yours, even in the mess that we have made. It's a hope that finds sort of uh, um, uh, flashes of, ex- of expression in this poem in a couple of places in this prayer. The first is a little bit earlier, verses 4 and 5. Right, He's saying, come, God, would you come? Come now. And then in, 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 in calling for that previous experience of God's work, he says, from of old, no one has heard. No one's perceived like by ear. No one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him, right? That there is uh, here a tapping into a theme in Isaiah that, that, uh, that what we have here is this hope that even in the midst of our mess, we, we wait uh, with the expectation that God comes. As we've heard over and over again in Isaiah, the, 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 way, the way we heard it the last few weeks was, behold, your God comes to you, 
even in your brokenness and mess, your God comes to you. And this week, we, we hear it uh, expressed a little bit differently, but it's that same hope. He comes to those as, as we wait, even in our mess and brokenness. It, it's, a, it's a theme throughout the book of Isaiah, the heart, really, of the book, a, a, an invitation, a call to you and to me in all of our circumstances and situations that, that we would commit to God over the long haul. That in the ups and downs and the messes and brokenness of our lives, the good days and the bad, the days when we like feel like we got this thing, look at my righteousness, and then the days when we are painfully aware of just how broken it is. Isaiah invites us into the hope that anchors all of that in what God does and not what we do, that we wait for, for him, for his timing and initiative and, and his move and his work. In, in Isaiah, this waiting, this is, it finds specific expression, like we are waiting in Isaiah for a servant. Uh, Isaiah will call him a servant to deal with, with sin, to deal with a death blow to sin. Uh, chapters, as you get through the 50s in Isaiah, this picture of a suffering servant who would come, who passages that may be familiar to you that we now apply, uh, as see, uh, help us to see Jesus and who he is, that he would suffer and carry our grief and our sins. This, this waiting, there is in Isaiah a waiting for a Messiah to come and establish what is good and right true for forever we were chatting this through a little bit with my kids as we were kind of going through the advent cards one of them talked about uh was one of these passages from isaiah and the picture of of the wolf and the lamb kind of you know it's like it's gonna be so peaceful that a lamb is gonna feel safe enough to take a nap right i was like daddy always wants to take a nap why won't you let me take a nap right uh like he's on again about the nap dad please let it go but but uh, this image i'm like that there will be such peace and security that the lamb will would be in such a place they could take a nap alongside uh, a, a wolf. This picture of God bringing his kingdom in its fullest expression. This he says, this is the hope he's talking about. This is what waiting looks like. This admission that, that God, you are at work even when I can't see it. And even when I have worked against it. But there's one other picture here of, of what this verse looks like. This hope. Uh, the Christmas hope in this passage. And it's, again, where we landed. We are all your people. Prior to that, uh, that verse 8 really is where we hit the turn, right? We, we hit this, which has happened again and again. We hit this, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Is it a conjunction? The grammar, the part of speech? Something like that. It says, yet, but, right? This sort of, we're moving along through this prayer. God, come. We are broken. We are withered leaves. And then you hit this beautiful, grace-filled word, but, you, O oh Lord, are our Father. Right? You, O oh Lord. It's what leads to that conclusion, we are all your people. That even in the midst of our mess, you, O oh Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Here, I think, as we've seen week after week after week, is the beautiful answer of the gospel to the messy brokenness of our lives. Look, your God comes to you, but you, oh Lord, are our Father. This is the moment in the in the prayer, right? There's the largest gap here, right? This is this is the, the moment of, of kind of great despair. All hope seems lost, right? They're coming home, things feel really broken, they are well aware of their own sort of 
brokenness in themselves, the mess that they've made, they feel the most removed in the moment of this prayer. There is the greatest chasm between who they are and, and, and what they think they know to be true of God. And yet it's precisely at this moment that Isaiah, uh, in this prayer, inserts, you, O Lord, our, our Father. What is he saying here? Right? It's the people through this prayer, in a sense, reminding God, God, we are your, we are your creation. You've, you made us. You called us into existence. You, you formed us. True, our sin cannot be denied, but neither can the nature of our relationship to you. And this, I think, is, is the really hope-filled, grace-filled moment of the story, but also the slightly frightening one. That there is a bit of... Uh, what's the word? Vulnerability. This, th- this term, this promise of hope uh, comes with just a little bit of uh, trepidation, I suppose, right? Because, because this is what's happening here. In this moment, as Isaiah, we've seen over and over again, God and Isaiah is revealing himself. They're, they're crying, God, come down. This is how we've known you in the past, right? Come, show up unmistakably. And now in this moment of uh, confessing their weakness, uh, God is, is going to reveal himself to them. In this, in this case, is Father. You, O oh Lord, are our Father. So, so there's wrapped up in this sort of prayer uh, that, that, that as God begins to show us who he is, which is Christmas, right, that, that a couple of things happen here. Inevitably, inevitably, as we learn more of who God is, we come to the realization of, of the helplessness of our own efforts, those, those things happen together that, that you can't sort of have one without the other. If, if we hang it on to self-reliance, we, we have not yet sort of seen who God is. There is, even as this prayer demonstrates, uh, a move in us where we, we are confronted with the helplessness of, of our broken human condition. But in that same moment, we're, we're greeted with the possibilities of grace that God and his grace is the one at work and moving in your life and mine, in the world, that, that God and his grace meets us even there. And I think this is scary because what it requires is a, is a relinquishing of control. Right? What it requires, something none of us like, is to kind of let go of the, particularly the narrative of, of control that we have over our own righteousness. This is what makes me worthy. This is what makes me good enough. This is what makes me better than that guy. This is, this is, this is what sort of helps me kind of plant my feet in the security of, of life. Uh, and and to, to, to see God as he reveals himself in, in this moment and over and over again in scripture is to, is to have to let go of the control of that story and instead to trust his grace, his grace. I, I came across a, an example that I, I'm going to try to use to maybe help us into this feeling uh, that I think Isaiah is drawing us into. And uh, he, he, was, uh, uh, he had written in the New York Times, and this was the title of his article, Library Books, A Small Antidote to a Life of Perpetual Dissatisfaction. You guys are like, riveting, yes, right? Well, uh, uh, let me see if I can pull us in. I'm going to try. Here's my, give it the old college try. Here we go. Uh, but he's writing about this feeling himself, an author, a writer, clearly, and a lover of books, which, again, 
uh, I want to confess up front is also me, right? We love to read. I want you to come to my house and see my books because I like what they say about me, all, all those kinds of things. I just want to say up front, I love uh, uh, books. So this is in no way an indictment against them. Um, everyone clear? All right. Right, but he's writing about this experience of, of, for him, whatever the subject he's trying to explore, that uh, he had wanted to, to purchase a new one. A new book had come out, and he wanted to buy it. And I uh, was really excited about it. Uh, I forget what, it, what the area of, of study or interest was. He was going to buy this book. But then he, he saw that it was available at the library. And in a, mo- in a moment, he was in a place of conflict and tension, right? You've been there. I can, I can see for right, that moment. Like, do like... I want to buy this new shiny thing, right? Right. I like it for what it says about me. I want to own it. it I'll get this book and then, right? Uh, but then he's like, it's also available for free at the library. And uh, he, he kind of he, talk, he kind of plays with that image, but but he lands on this truth that says, like, man, really, you know, the image the, the image is is one that the library is is really a much clearer picture of the human condition, right? That we think sort of whatever kind of next new purchase we get will kind of will bring us to that place of, of satisfaction. For him, it was this book. For you, I don't know. Maybe it's the next Lego set, right? I, I don't know what that might be for you. But, but he's like, you know, there's, there's this pursuit, this human pull in me that if I could just sort of attain this goal, um, then, 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 right? And he's like, but the, the, the clearer picture of what it means to be human is obviously, unequivocally, the library. Because the library, right, the book has coffee stains. Someone crazy has gone nuts in the book already with a green highlighter, right? He says uh, there's a receipt in there from a stranger you don't know to the local Chinese restaurant, right? This is real life, right? This is real life. He said, but we want, we ache for kind of this new, like I, I get this new experience that will then kind of help me, right? He says, no, the library, the library is kind of a healthy dose in his, in his expression of realism. This is what he says, because in the world in which, right, in the world in which you are perpetually under the impression that the next book purchase, the next apartment, the next significant relationship will be the one that finally delivers the goods. This is no life at all, he says. This, he says, is a life of perpetual dissatisfaction. And this beautiful image, this, he says, is a life of thin and sugary highs followed by long and unenlightening lows. And I hear Kevin all over again. I'm eating junk food and watching rubbish. He lands with a quote from another author. He, he makes the observation, this is an author whose books are certainly worth owning, right? So disclaimer. But this author sort of describes it like this, where he lands in all of this is our lives, like libraries, right? Our lives are only lent to us. Our lives are only lent to us. And that truth pulls the rug right out from under my ache for control. So the truth is I fade like a leaf. I'm dirty pages. I'm coffee stains, right? I uh, am a mess even on my best days. Even my most righteous efforts are dirty laundry. And yet, and yet, you, O Lord, are our Father. We are all your people. That is to say that there's a deeper truth at work in your life, in your world. That there is another who holds all of it. That your life, mine, they are only lent to us. We are his creation. And so I would ask you the question, 
Uh, having sat with Isaiah and the theme of Advent over these last few weeks as we prepare to celebrate the hope of God with us. And what are the books? What are the books in your life? What are the books? What are the markers? What are the markers of righteousness, of significance, of having made it-ness, if I could invent a word? What are those books for you? Hear the grace-filled, life-giving truth of the gospel this morning. Your life is only lent to you that even in the mess of your life, good and bad, the hope of Advent and Christmas is that God has come to be with you, that you are not home alone. You're not home alone in all of it. You're not home alone in all the places your life is put together any more than you are home alone in all the places your life has fallen apart. God is with us. This is the hope of Christmas. If I were going to reduce it to a phrase, I would think it'd be that the truth that Isaiah brings us to this morning is that because God is our Father, we can wait confidently on Him. We don't have to rely on our own righteousness anymore. Maybe as we close, right, maybe you're here this morning and like the people of Israel, you feel a shadow, or maybe you're listening online, right, you feel a shadow of of your former self, your life, a shadow of what it used to be. Maybe COVID is a huge part of that. I was chatting with folks in our community this morning, again, of the effects of, of all that is happening in the world. And, and, and maybe there's a sense in which you, like the Israelites, feel a shadow of your former self. And the question most at home in your heart is, God, am I home alone? Are you here in this mess? Maybe grief, maybe loss, maybe distance. All of that space is created an ache in you, and you're asking, like just did, but maybe with a slightly more friendly tone. Is this it, right? Maybe, maybe in a slightly more desperate tone. Is this it? God, am I home alone? We're going to close with a song, my favorite Christmas carol, right? That pulls us into the hope that we are not alone, that God isn't dead, that He doesn't sleep, that when I'm getting it right, or getting it wrong doesn't change the fact we are all your people. God is our Father. He is at work. His grace working righteousness in my life, not my my own. I, I, if I could, to close, I'd like to take us kind of back to the beginning. Uh, you, when, when At the beginning of the prayer, God, would you come? It's interesting, like in the context of their history, there's an acknowledgement, right? They, they said, God, come like you did when you surprised us out of nowhere. Because back then, they didn't know what to expect, right? They were like, we had no clue. And out of nowhere, Moses shows up in Egypt and says, I'm going to set you guys free. God's delivering you. And it was all a total shocking surprise, right? The mountains were quaking, right? Totally out of the blue, sudden and unexpected. But now, as Isaiah writes, right, Isaiah 64, they got a whole history. They got a whole history with God. And they're like... In this moment, God, we know you enough now to know you should be here, right? Where are you? Are we home alone? It's like they have enough of a history now to be like, God, now we know to expect you to come. And it feels like you're not here. It feels like we're home alone. But interestingly, in that moment, 
in that moment, I think it's also the surprise of that first encounter that can give us hope, that can give you hope, that gives the Israelites hope. God, you have surprised us once, and you can do it again. You can do it again. In fact, God, you will do it again. And it won't be thunder and lightning this time. It'll be a baby in a manger. You, God, making your home with us in Jesus. Making your home with us now through your spirit in all of our brokenness, in the middle of our darkness and mess and faded, withering leaves. God, you are with us. Will you stand? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.